Hey everyone, welcome to Prime Video Presents, the podcast where we give you a behind-the-scenes look at some of your favorite Amazon originals. I'm your host, Tim Cash, and today it's all about Amazon Studios Transparent. I had the chance to talk to one of the show's stars, Judith Light, and the show's creator, Joey Soloway, formerly known as Jill Soloway. You don't watch Transparent. You feel Transparent. Joey has won two Emmys. Judith has been nominated six times, won twice, and has two Tony Awards as well. Well, after five groundbreaking seasons, the show Transparent has finally come to an end. And as expected, they closed it out in style with a musicale finale. I had the amazing opportunity to talk with Judith and Joey about on-set stories and emotional goodbyes to the cast and the characters that we've grown to love so much. Could be like this for the rest of my life. I could die and be rotting in my casket before anyone notices. Very recently, Joey announced their decision to go by Joey instead of Jill. We actually recorded this interview prior to that, and therefore you're going to hear them referred to as Jill throughout the episode. This was such an eye-opening and educational conversation for me, and actually no topic was off-limits. Joey continues to identify with the they-them-their pronouns, and both Joey and Judith shared their experience with educating others, including me, about pronouns and creating a safe and inclusive place on the set. We also had some laughs over the costumes and the sets of Transparent, the Musicali finale. Let's dive in, shall we? I have a confession. For the last hour, I've been warming up my vocal cords for today's interview because at any second, I could just break out into song just like that. The reason? Because today I'm joined by the creator and the stars of Transparent, a show that finished with a bang last year, a full-on musicali finale. Please welcome the show's creator, Jill Soloway, and the woman behind, Shelley Pfefferman, a woman I love, the incredibly talented Judith Light. Both of you, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. It would be strange for me just to start the interview without asking how you both are. You know, at the time of recording this, we are two days into the protests happening around America, um, literally happening on on my doorstep here in Los Angeles. Uh, how are you both doing? Well, it's a, it's a, I think it's, our, all of our hearts are kind of hollowed out at the reality of what has, what this has all come to. And I think it just strengthens us for the fight to keep fighting for the rights of people who, you know, aren't white and who don't have access to privilege. It's, it's a big deal. It's the, the veils are being lifted right now. Yeah. I would say the same, Tim. I, I'm the way that Jill articulates things about our hearts being hollowed out, um, is the way that we have all communicated always from that kind of place on transparent. And uh, I would also say that, uh, what's being revealed is so, um, long time coming. It gets revealed in spurts and then it goes away and then it gets revealed again and it goes away. And this time we have to make sure that it doesn't go away and that we stay awake and that we keep paying attention. Really well said, both of you. Even prior to this, the country was on lockdown, a time where we have all been safer at home. Uh, Let's get into transparent. How much are you missing your transparent family right now being stuck at home? We're, we're, we are always family in our hearts. I mean, everybody's trying this new way of life where we connect through screens, but the times that we've connected during this lockdown have been, have been really uh, comforting. And precious and important. And 
it's true. We're, we're always connected. Um, and I just literally, uh, texted, uh, Amy and Gabby and Jay this morning to find out how they are in LA because I'm in New York. We're always in touch with each other in one form or another. Judith, are you very tech savvy? Do you, do you enjoy oh the world? Oh my God. Of- are you out of your mind? <laughs> oh, I'm, t- I'm terrible. I'm just awful. I am literally half out of my mind from this stuff. I'm terrible. <laughs> uh, okay. So let's focus on something that you all are very good at. And uh, that is the show Transparent. It really is the end of an era. Transparent was such an important cultural touch point for advancing the discussion on transgender and non-binary issues. Jill, as someone who has literally lived with the show since even before day one of shooting, how did it feel to see your writing having that sort of cultural impact in the world? Well, it's it's totally humbling. I look at the cultural impact as coming from all of the trans people who fought for their voices before me. I happened to come along at the tender age of menopause and have a, a parent who came out as trans. And I was really just trying to process the uh, the feelings of trying to understand who my parent was, who our family was, who we were. And writing that pilot was just my form of therapy, really, at first. The fact that it had huge cultural impact is so humbling, but uh, I really feel that it came, that, that, that my impact came because of the work done by all of the activists and trans people who came before me and moved through the world unsafe. It was really, it's really an unsafe way to, to move through the world if you're trans. So uh, I, I credit those folk. Let me ask you to go back in time. What was the first moment where you personally realized that you were having an impact on other people's lives? Was there a moment? Yeah, you know, somebody came up to me at an event and told me that this was really sad. They told me that their family had ostracized their parent for transitioning Mm -hmm. 10 years previous, that their parent, who had formerly been their father, had transitioned, and nobody in the family could really even understand it. So they sort of just wrote that person out of their life, not out of hatred, but just out of kind of not being able to compute. It wasn't legible to them what was happening. And the show made it legible and they called their parent after seeing it and they re-began their relationship. So the fact that I think transparent sort of normalized transness, it didn't make it this odd thing over there. It made Mora the center of the story so we could relate to her. In fact, I just read an article that said one of the problems is that we've always made the policemen the protagonists in the stories. We've always made the policemen the protagonists because protagonism is propaganda for privilege. So I knew that giving my MAPA her own story and putting a trans woman at the center of a story would be more than just interesting culturally because it's about trans people, but it literally shifts people's emotions. Roger Ebert said film is an empathy machine and TV probably goes along with that. I just, um, Mm -hmm. I watched it happen over and over again, where this thing that had been something you would see on a talk show where trans women were being objectified and turned into, you know, something to look at, it moved. And we were able to locate the desire and the yearning of the show in the heart of a trans woman. And then Judith, being on the inside as a performer and watching the show literally change the world around you, what did that feel like firsthand? As Jill said, incredibly humbling. Um, 
there had been a lot of work um, done prior. When I had my first conversation with Jill, we talked about our connection to LGBTQIA plus issues. And that was um, our connecting, our dialoguing, our intimacy over those issues on, on a basically a FaceTime call. There, there was this very uh, deep resonance. And as Jill said, the, there was this movement that was already in, in play. However, the trans um, trans people were so hidden so far into the closet, even within the LGBTQ community, that this moved in a really dynamic, powerful way. And the thing that I've always said about Transparent and um, the way that Jill created it is that you don't watch Transparent, you feel Transparent. And that was the the marker and the differential in the world of television uh, that that made this show as different. The content was so powerful. The feeling was so strong. And it was also a moment in time that we were part of this sweep that moved us forward. So to be within that and to have the privilege of that and the 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 honor of that um, was a, a huge, huge gift for me, and I and I still feel that way, and I will feel that way about Jill and the dynamics of this forever. Jill told us her story, but for you, what was a f- personal fan interaction that you recall that was very poignant for you, knowing how impactful the show is? There wasn't one in particular. There was an ongoingness to that, to the relating, to the saying that it had changed someone's life, or there was something on Twitter, or there was something on Instagram, or there somebody would just, uh, if I was somewhere, they would say, thank you for doing this. Jill, so much of this series is based on your own story, watching your parent transition. On a personal level, I was so curious, what has this show meant to your family throughout the seasons? Yes, that's such a good question. And But before I go on, I do want to say, um, Tim, with all respect and love, I don't use the her pronoun. You refer yes. to me as her. So just know I'm cool with it if you make a mistake, but... This is what it's done. It's turned me into a person who considers myself trans and considers myself non-binary. So I'm living in this third space between hers and his, male and female. And I'd say our whole family has actually reconsidered our relationship to gender. Faith, my sister, thought of herself as butch, a lesbian. Now she's looking back and thinking about her childhood and wondering, was I simply just a boy? My parent obviously transitioned from Harry to Carrie, but um, now is quite moved by this notion that I'm reminding her that, you know, there's also a third option somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. And I, of course, went from being incredibly um, filled with shame about this idea that my parent could be trans to, I don't know, five or six years later, identifying as trans myself and wanting to be uh, as, you know, part of the movement. Right. You know, I made, I made notes for myself before this interview. So that it's so I could, hard. Don't no, worry. I, I know how I hard made, it is. I am literally covered by notes around me, reference, just making sure. And it was in the moment of thinking, you know, off script and, and just kind of improvising this conversation. So 
call me out if I do it again, because by the end of it, if anyone's going to gain something, it's going to be me. It's totally fine. Totally I have fine. to say, I've made, I have made the mistake over and over again. And I, do my best to catch myself as soon as I can. And I want to say that you, Jill, are very um, forgiving. And um, I really appreciate your understanding of that. And it is time that we do better. That's all. And I forget all the time when I'm talking to non- non-binary people and they give me the um, they give me the benefit of the doubt. So I think the questions where we stop and we go, what is gender and what are your pronouns? And we fix them in the moment just like this are part of the discovery and, you know, part of the mystery and part of the fun of learning a new language and learning a new way to be. Yeah. Judith, I'm sure you learned so much through working with Jill, this crew and the show. What is something through portraying and playing Shelley Pfeffman that you have learned about yourself, like a lesson that you're grateful for and something you didn't know before you took this role? It's so uh, interesting. As you started to ask me that question, um, I got very emotional and I get emotional. um, I'm not the same person I was before transparent. So there's a a BT for me, my work as an, as an actor, a performer, an artist is completely loosened in a way where before I was more controlled, more a tighter Um, everything that I have done subsequent to transparent, is freer, more open, braver, taking chances, leaping off the cliff. The way that Jill would work with us as we were doing the show for all the years that we were doing the show would be, like I said before, their intimacy is the word to me, that we were creating something together. And I had never had that experience before. I believe in my, my way more, in my choices more. If somebody doesn't like the choice, they can change it. I'm not, I'm no longer the, you know, the, the best little girl in the world, which was a, a, a whole dynamic that I needed to, an outfit I needed to shed from myself. So uh, there are a myriad of ways in which I am, I am different. Um, but I would say, um, like the community, uh, and like Jill staking my claim in a way and ownership of who I am in a whole, in a whole different way, braver, more courageous. Run from your father's house. There's a lesson I will teach you. I will honor all who honor you, curse all who curse you. So Jill, take me back. You've been doing the show for four seasons. Out of all the ways you could have said goodbye to this show and these characters, why a musicale finale? I'm going to say that a bunch because I love it. Musicale so finale. So funny, right? Yeah. And musicale finale is also funny. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> now, come on now. Musicale finale? You're just making stuff up. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> we are making stuff up. Well, my sister Faith and I are the original sort of twosome. And when we were children living in our home, probably a home of secrets at that point, we created an imaginary world for ourselves, listening to my parents' albums, listening to Jesus Christ Superstar and Fiddler on the Roof. And I think dreaming of having our own musical one day. My sister, Faith, is a total musical genius. And we, I think when my parent first came out, we said, let's do a musical play. <laughs> that was really our first, our first impulse. We didn't, never quite got there. 
but we've been dreaming. We, you know, we started off in the theater. We did a lot of musical theater as children, and it just felt very natural to say, we can't come back the way we were. We can't just do an episode or a movie. It ha- we have to change change it up and we have to reset the rules and reset the stage so that we're able to process all of these complex feelings, grief and joy with something that is what, you know, is something that you can turn to when words fail us. And we felt like words were failing us and we wanted to sing. Judith, for you, when you get the news of it being a musical, what was your first reaction? I was, I was excited. I didn't, I didn't know what it would be. However, I trust Jill and I trust Faith, so I knew it would be something really special. Um, I had also, they had supported my singing on the end of the third season uh, of the show. Uh So I, again, there was this incredible support and freedom and uh, I, I was of course, a, a little nervous and scared. Could I do it? Would I be able to do it? Um, and so there was that feeling mixed with the thrill and the excitement and the knowing that it was it was an appropriate way to complete, to transition, if you will. And, you know, kudos to Amazon. You know, Jill presented it and then we did our first table read for them and did some of the choreography and the songs and they were... Um, they were in tears and they were, they gave us an incredible blessing. So what Jill said is, is accurate. When you can no longer say something, you must sing. I did hear an amazing story that for one of the songs, which we'll be talking about later on, a whole section to itself, Joy of Course, another word that I love saying, but you performed, you went up on and you were performing for 12 hours straight almost. Um, as an actor, what do you dig into in those moments? Because I'm sure you get tired. I'm sure the body aches. You want to give your best performance. Uh, what do you dig into to get yourself through that work? I don't know that I did it for 12 hours straight. I think that's boundaries. I would say boundaries, Judith, was when you were really bringing your A game. And we all blame the mother. Let's pile on to the mother who gives like a charity, gives like a giving tree, left like a stump in her forest of misery. Your boundary is my trigger. It was her birthday and she danced that dance over... (laughs) And over and over again, putting all of us to shame. We basically just watched in awe as she was so much more in shape, had so much more stamina, so much more flexibility, toe up to the head. And she's our she's our matriarch. She 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 led the way with with her bravery and her and her her grit. She just went for it. And Judith, what's your version? What was going on in your head? It's an out of body experience. Interesting. And so. It isn't like I thought, oh, I have to make sure everybody knows I can do this or that, you know, it's like lead the way for everybody. It's none of that. It's just like this is what was given by two really extraordinary creators. And we and we had a, a amazing group of uh, people that we were doing this with. Um, all these queer, amazing people, dancers, singers, and um, and also our cast and everybody being there. So I, there's this sense in, and Ryan Heffington, who was giving the choreography. And so the, the level of support was 
almost as if everyone there was lifting up the, I don't even know what the word is, the whole experience, the whole um, place was lifted into another space and time. It carried a different energy with it that made it possible to do that. From a directorial standpoint, what is the process of teaming up with choreographer Ryan Heffington to block the scenes, plan the shots? Was it very different to the way you normally prep? I'm assuming it was. Oh, yeah, totally different. And we also weren't really doing it on a musical budget. We were sort of pulling this off on our regular transparent (laughs) TV show budget. And so I think when you watch it, what we what I think could have been a limitation, which was we didn't have the time or the interest in a perfectly choreographed, big budget, huge, you know, Busby Berkeley show. We wanted to see our characters in a musical. So often Ryan and I were talking about how can something go from walking into movement into a dance? How, uh-huh. how can we take that moment that every musical struggles with, which is when do we start to sing? And, and spend time in their learning because we wanted the musical numbers to feel as natural as a regular transparent scene. So we were, we were all in, the, in our learning places, which is my favorite place to be. We were learning how to shoot dance. We were learning how to get it perfect without needing it to be uh, not real, perfect enough. Tim, I just want to add something. Watching Please. Jill and Ryan talk about something, dialogue about something, uh, was really electric. Jill would say something about their vision and what needed to happen at an emotional level for the character and would say that to Ryan and Ryan would give them an idea and then we would try it. And so there was this constant, like Jill said, this, this learning, which is a place that all of us and on transparent hold as, as a really exciting place to be and live. Um, and just watching them do that was, um, a, a thrill. And then they would throw it out to us and then we would try it and we would see if it worked. And so it was this, and we had no time. I mean, you have to understand this was made in a month. That's wow. Impossible. It's literally impossible. It was impossible. It's a testament to how much we needed to dance and sing that we were willing to go for it. And yeah, the learning, Tim, was for me, I had, you know, scenes without music and without song had always been choreographed anyway. We were constantly talking about beat changes and when does the moment change and when does the actor walk away? So I just took all of that same technology about beat changes that I normally would use for directing non-musical scenes and, and realized, hey, it's all the same. It's do you walk across the room or do you or do you dance across the room? And if so, why? There's so many favorite scenes I have from the what did you say musical finale? Um, I wanna <laughs> I wanna jump to the Pfefferman sitting shiver. Oi, oi! So many people spent way too much money on the food. Did you see the size of that chub? That smoked sturgeon? You know, it's all gonna go bad. I firstly, um, I, firstly, where's my invite? I mean, I gotta ask you exactly, <laughs> ex- exactly how how much food did you have on set? For those scenes. 
t- so much, <laughs> so much food. We were eating. Well, the, it's interesting because the shiva was also like everything that happened around the shiva and the funeral and the house was also our last day of filming. Oh, okay. so we were not only really sad, but we were also eating our feelings. We were eating the props, and. uh just yeah, chomping on corned beef sandwiches all day, and <laughs> it was it, it did feel it did feel like a like a real like a real shiva. Yeah, Judith, what was that like for you? I mean, I I didn't realize that that was the last day of filming. So much food, you're working at the same time. What was that? What was that day like? Such an awesome <laughs> scene. Eating eating our feelings. <laughs> <It was> so- <laughs> <laughs> Sorrow and grief. And I, I have to say, I still have grief uh, in me and great joy in me about this, this transparent, this, this iconic story, place, life um, in, in the world and, and in, in, my, in me. Um, so it, it encompassed everything. And there's a, a longing to stay. And a longing to um, stay in communication. And one of the things that Jill had created that I think was just incredibly genius, and I've talked to other people about it on other sets, um, just the thought of it and doing it. And we had a thing called Box. And when before the day would start, before the filming would start, Anybody who wanted to say anything about what they were feeling or what was going on in their life would get up on the box and talk about it so that we could all stay connected. And again, I go back to the word intimate and intimacy. And there was a lot of, um, there were a lot of moving people sharing things uh, on the box um, about what they were feeling. And there was a lot going on that day. Where did that idea for the box come from? Well, we like to prioritize the feeling of safety and love. A lot of times on film sets, they sort of act like it's, you know, a a rocket launch and brain surgery and people are all real nervous because we're running out of time and we're running out of money and you better get it done. And I've always felt that that was a really odd way to photograph art. And what we're, you know, what we're asking to to happen when we make a TV show or a movie is to have the audience feel the feelings of the actors, yet the kind of schedule and the budget and the equipment is always prioritized. There's a lot of yelling. So thinking about some of the sort of feminist notions, circle-based pedagogy, it's called from Judy Chicago. It's real, it's really, it's really a feminist notion to create a circle and let the power come from the center as opposed to the sort of more traditional patriarchal Mm -hmm. sets where the director comes and he's usually a guy and everybody's pretty scared of him and you better get it right and you better get it the way he thought it was going to go or else everybody's in trouble. And I just thought, let's reverse the dynamic. Nobody's in trouble. We're not running out of time. We're not running out of money. We're not running out of light. We have plenty of time. We have plenty of money. So let's bring the light to the set. And so just by prioritizing an emotional connection for everybody at the beginning of the day, it made things so much more connected and emotional that, you know, whisper, whisper, for those who are watching the time and the money, everything went so much faster. Yeah. And everyone, everyone was included. And another, uh, another word that was a, a top word uh, on the set was always gratitude. Everyone was grateful for everyone else. 
Um, and we also had a safe word so that if anybody felt that they were in trouble or that they needed to talk to somebody, there was a word that they could say and somebody would be there to support them. And that is why I was going to say, and I'm going to say it now, is why I think, Jill, you get so, you, you're able to capture very lived in unguarded performances from your actors, which which is really just a testament to you as a director and a leader on your set. The call sheets, I, I did hear you include pronouns yes. um, on the call sheets. Tell me about that because I love that and more sets, all sets should do that as well. Yeah. We just want people to know that that's, that that's part of what they can expect is to be able to let others know their gender and have it respected. And again, of course, there's mistakes all the time. People are always learning. But uh, to be able to have somebody's pronoun by their name, I think, helped so many people, particularly non-binary people, as well as trans people who are just transitioning and, and people may not necessarily see their gender correctly. So it's just one of the many things, one of the many ways we wanted to just reverse the polarity, reverse the dynamics of the outside world and make a right. kind of upside down world that was a dream world, that was a utopia that we imagined where the most vulnerable were the most protected. Judith, what is something that Jill did that really helped you that maybe they don't know they did to kind of get your performance to the stellar level that it's at? I think Jill knows that it's true for me what I'm about to say. Uh, what I would what I would say is that always, and this is from the very first moment that we were working, they would give me notes. And when Jill gave me, not notes, they weren't notes. That's an old dynamic of explanation. They would give me a suggestion. Jill would throw something out and I would catch it and throw myself into it. And if it didn't work, I never felt that I was wrong or bad or doing the wrong thing there would be another suggestion. There would be another idea. So again, I go back to the that the dance of intimacy that I always felt we had. And there were several instances. I mean, Joe would be at Video Village, which is the place where everybody sits and watches the monitor as we're shooting something. And sometimes I would hear Joe call something out to me and I would be able to throw it into the performance. I had never worked like that before. And we all understood that that was there. It was being held in a container of support. It's like great parenting, right. um, which Jill is a great parent, the, that you give your child tremendous freedom at the same time, letting them know that you are there for them and you give them boundaries. It was all about the growth. It was all about the larger context of what we were creating. And I always felt this freedom and support and honor for my my talent and what I, what I would bring to the story and how I would fit into the story. And, and sometimes they would, I would do something and they would laugh and that just thrilled me, just thrilled me. Right. Yeah, you know, I, I Tim, I I think I approach so much of this with so much wonder and awe because I kind of, from the very beginning, couldn't really believe that any of it was happening. It was such a dream come true, 
that I kind of show up on the set in some ways like an actor. In what way do you turn up as an actor? Explain that so to me. So when I was working on Afternoon Delight and I started to work with Katherine Hahn, I realized after the first take that what I was going to say to the actors was something that I couldn't know until I was saying it. In other words, I wasn't the director or the writer trying to get them to do to do it the way it was in my, in my head. I would call cut, and then I would have to think of something brand new that brought me right to the moment of what just happened and now what's going to happen. So when Judith talks about these boundaries, we're, we're sort of playing these beats where we all know where we're going. And then what I adjust as a, as a director is how we're going to get there. So the scene will happen, and then I'll I'll have to be alive in my most open, actorly, you know, artistly way. I have to be present and feel what just happened, and then feel what can happen next, and then deviously go to each actor and whisper something in their ear that allows the next performance to begin, knowing that the alchemy of all of the new information and the performances will then again bring us something new right. where I will again have to figure out what to say. So I'm not sitting there hoping they get it right. I'm I'm flying without a net also. And the, there was one particular example of that. I think it was in the first season and it's the family. Uh, we're all sitting around and the character of Ed Shelley's husband is dying and they all are over at the condo at Ed and Shelley's condo. And we together as a family kept looking at what, what was the scene about? What were we telling? What was the storytelling? And we kept saying this or that, or we'd throw this thing out or that thing out. And Jay would say one thing and Amy would say another and Gabby, it was just, and finally Jill said, Oh, it's about the chicken, which is what they had brought over to the house and we were eating the chicken. And so in that moment, it was like, that was the example of their being present in that moment to what was, what was the scene about? And we, we literally couldn't figure it out until it got figured out. And the minute that Jill said, it's about the chicken, everybody went, yes, we got it. And the prop people went to the store for more chicken. Yes, that's right. <laughs> we realized yeah, realize that, yeah. that there was this food in the middle of the table and everybody wanted the food, but also everybody was trying to to avoid feelings, avoid trauma by focusing on their on, on, on what was feeding them. So we blocked it around who, who would have access to the chicken and when they would reach in and grab it and, right. and, and, and when they would say their lines and everything else. Came after that. But yes, that's a great example of real, real time flying. Yeah. I love that. What I thought was fascinating about all of it, but especially the finale, is amidst all the sadness in the episode, the show actually never stops being funny at exactly the same time. For example, when Shelley tries to get in on the hug with all the siblings at the funeral home, yeah. or or the part where she's just complaining about all the rules of the bat mitzvah at the end. Wonderful. Oh, You're wonderful. Shelly, we don't clap after a, after a Torah reading. I'm, just, I'm sorry, what? We don't clap after a Torah reading. It's too many rules. 
so many rules. It's so terrible. It's like it's okay, but it's fear and self-loathing. Everyone feeling like they're in trouble all the time. How do you both collaborate to nail the humor for Shelley, even in a dark and super hyper-emotional moment on the show? Because that's got that's a delicate, that's a really delicate thing that you you both do so well. Jill, I'm gonna let you speak to that first. Well, you know, <laughs> the getting in on the hug, for example, you know, that's a perfect mm-hmm. example of what we were just talking to. I don't think we thought about that until we saw it. Mm-mm. You know, the, the stealing of the Kleenex. <laughs> you know, these <laughs> moments are things. You know, we we basically put ourselves in these situations and pretend like it's real life. And so that moment, which was such a perfect moment wasn't really there until a prop person put a um, basket of Kleenex and Judith, the actor, was alone with Shelly and started to think about, well, what would Shelly do? She'd probably stuff her pockets with the free Kleenex. (laughs) So it's all, you know, it's all, that's why I have so much fun and wonder. It's play. You know, we're we're, we're pretending to be these other people and we're filming it and we're sharing our playtime with the world. And that's why I'm so in awe of what happens once we say action. You know, that th- those moments between action and cut, they are this crucible for utter joy, utter surprise. I'm as excited and surprised as the viewer is. I'm just seeing it a little bit sooner. So we're just kind of in this, this alchemy where it feels maybe more like what you might think street theater might feel like. You know, some yeah. people who who are doing a some sort of big surprise performance on the street and they don't know quite what's going to happen. We're sort of doing that with like great sets, great costumes, great hair. And, you know, as Judith said, she she's texting with her three kids this morning. Like, right. They are her kids. And we, and the Feffermans are real. They might even be realer than the Soloways at this point. (laughs) (laughs) You know, all of that, the word that Jill just used, alchemy, is is really um, resonates for me in that an alchemist can take something that is a base metal and then do something with it and it becomes gold. Uh, or it becomes a precious metal. And in so many ways, I, that's the way that I would describe uh, transparent. One of the things is that emotional life runs very um, much in parallel streams to each other, to me, so that this, this deepest sorrow also has the, the greatest humor at the same, can, and can have it simultaneously. And you can flip one into the other. And once you know a character and have been given permission to create a character in the alchemy with everybody else, all of a sudden those, those streams are running parallel and you can call upon either one in any moment. I really want to talk about um, set design and costume. What was your vision for the set? Did you build out the set in a soundstage or in an actual theater? Take us behind what went on. Yeah, so we have an amazing production designer named Kat Smith, and we built the the stage set at Paramount on a stage. Right. And we were talking about some some references, absolutely talking about all that jazz with the lights that would light up in a sort of circular kind of Thunderdome feeling yep. for the fantasies. You know, this, the stage needed to actually just say Broadway stage. So it had to feel like it was made of wood, but it was painted black and that it had been painted black a hundred times over the course of many years. (laughs) And that, 
it, it was supposed to suggest something. Um, for me, it had a lot of a lot of fun home in it. But um, what was the oh next to normal is a show that had a, a a set that was a an abstract house and also sort of reminded me a little bit of the Brady Bunch house. Yeah. So we wanted something that felt like a cross between next to normal and the transparent house and the Brady Bunch house. That feeling of of modern and the slats and the lines, but the kind of Escher-esque feeling that any set of stairs could take you anywhere. And yeah, Kat just got it. We made a cute little model of it, which I still have with tiny little Pfeffermans on it, which I just <laughs> want to play with like dolls all the time. And uh, we, you know, we rehearsed on it and 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 danced on it. And we had our, our meetings on the set. We would all sit in a big circle towards the end. When we were shooting that and and uh, it just felt like a salute to Broadway sets, to Broadway plays. Right. And I also had a little bit of Zoom and Electric Company in it, too. Judith, your character probably has the most dramatic costume changes in the finale. Did you have a favorite? Oh, please say nursing bra. Please say nursing bra. <laughs> yes. Please say yes. nursing bra. There's <laughs> just no question about it. I mean, it was just, that, that was, that was it. It was like, Marie Schley is just, uh, is also a consummate genius like, like Cat Smith. And Marie, we talked about it and Jill and Marie had talked about it. And when I put on the nude bodysuit and the nude tights, and I also Marie said we wanted to have something red in there too um, to symbolize blood. And so then she gave me the, the nursing bra and we incorporated the <laughs> nursing bra into the dance number. Uh, it was just, I mean, if you look at all of the, the costumes in that particular, in Boundary, it's my trigger. You can see that everyone is in a brassiere or a girdle or some sort of um, female underwear. The idea was that it was supposed to feel like you were walking in on your grandma while she was changing. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it may be my favorite costume of all time. <laughs> <laughs> um, you shot the final musical number in the woods. I heard it's the it was the largest base camp for any TV show in LA, and that so many faces from past episodes returned. That wardrobe was struggling to find enough costumes to dress everyone. Take <laughs> me to that day. What was that feeling like? It, that was such a beautiful day. I showed up at that base camp at you know six in the morning, and you bounded out of bed before it was light went down there, drove down there, and just, it was still foggy out. And people were starting to get into their costumes, their brightly colored costumes. And you would see somebody you hadn't seen in forever, and they were wearing something that made them look like a purple popsicle. And you would <laughs> run to them, you know, and, oh, my God, you know. It, it it just, it did feel like that. It did feel like we had all gone to heaven and we're catching up with each other wow. one more time, wearing uh, clothes the colors of Skittles. Yeah. Every every moment of the of the dynamics of of shooting the the musical carried that kind of dynamic with it, Th that in a larger sense with so many people. But each thing, each scene, carried some kind of specialness with it. I got to ask you about Joy Cost. We need a joy a cost for all the lives we've lost. This pain in all of us 
quite a cost. Six million. Ain't no joke. We In the word of the song itself, hell yes, we crossed the line. <laughs> Jill, Jill, what's the story behind that number? How did you and Faith find your way to it? Well, let's see. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a joke that I made to Faith maybe five years ago, thinking about the sort of relationship between Jesus as Messiah and the six million also as a kind of Messiah, that, 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 that all of the people killed in the Holocaust feel like our, if you're Jewish, they feel like our, our children, our legacy. So I was, I was thinking about the feeling of, you know, as Jews, we're always going, what will bring about the second coming? What, how do we get to that land? How, where is peace? And I just had the thought which somebody in the show said, I think, what if 6 million people felt joy for 12 years? You know, mm-hmm. that would be an equal and opposite reaction. And then I think Faith said, yeah, joy a cost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we kind of put it aside. And, you know, a few years later, it came time to uh, to think of the end. Faith started writing the song Joy a Cost. And, and we knew that it would be transgressive. But we knew that we also had to top what had come before. You had your mother on set, right? Yes. Yes. And she also, she did not want us to have a musical number called Joy Cost. She said, this is a generational thing. It will be too much for my generation. So even up until the last moment, you're getting notes from mom. What was that like for you on a personal level to be closing out? What a day for you that must have been. What was that like having your mom there? Uh, amazing. I mean, the aspect of just the fact that we're celebrating our family and our relationships, if it was only that, that would be, we would be so lucky to be able to give life and breath and actors and production design to this transition in our family. But to have everybody up there on this hill, which we now refer to, by the way, as Joy Cost Mountain, because, you know, it's in, it's in Griffith Park. So now anybody who worked on the show will say, oh, well, why don't we meet at Joy Cost Mountain? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> it was, you know, it's, it's, it, it Every aspect of this show has felt like an unbelievable honor that I, you know, creating moments that I can't believe I get to live through. I was floating. Both of you, it has been such a pleasure and honor to talk to you both so intimately and openly about, I'll say it one more time, the musicale finale um, of Transparent. Thank you. Congratulations, first and foremost, on creating such an iconic show. That's thanks from me and thanks to everybody who's watched the show for so many years. And thank you for talking to us today. Jill Judith, thanks. Thank you, Tim. Absolutely. Thank you. I want to thank Judith and Joey again for joining me. That was a very special conversation. I learned so much and I truly hope that other cast and crew can take something from what the Transparent team has done for inclusion and make television a safe place for all. The first four seasons of Transparent and Transparent, the musicale finale. I love saying it are available now on Prime Video. If you want to hear more secrets from the sets of your favorite Amazon originals, subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Prime Video Presents is a collaboration between Amazon Studios, Atwill Media, and me, Tim Cash. Our executive producer is Will Malnati. Our senior producers are Molly Sosha, Mitch Bluestein, and Brianne Richard. Editing and sound design by Rachel Leitner, Elliot Davis, Ashley Taylor, and Manny Simone. Original music by Sam Wilkes. <laughs>